Delaware State of the Arts. I'm Andy Truscott. My guest today is Liz DeJesus, who is a Delaware-based author and a 2023 Emerging Individual Artist Fellow in the field of literature, creative nonfiction. Liz grew up in Puerto Rico, where her love of books, art, journaling, and poetry allowed her to feel fearless like she could roar like the mighty wind. Liz, thank you so much for joining me today. And as we kick off, I wonder if you can tell us a little bit about your childhood in Puerto Rico, how it influenced your passion for writing, and what you think really led to uh, your real lean into the field. Oh my gosh, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. Um, and I also want to take a moment and thank the DDOA for the grant. It, this has been life-changing and so validating for me as a, as a writer. And you were asking me about my childhood. I really started writing when I was eight. I started journaling and, um, and I realized that I just really enjoyed the process of writing and it fe I felt like I could escape. Uh, and then I started writing poetry when I was 13 and then I just kind of crash landed onto, I just decided when I was 18, I was going to write a novel. <laughs> I had never written a novel before, but I, you know, when you're 18, you feel like you can kind of do anything. So I just decided I'm going to write a novel. Your location on Puerto Rico, I know we spoke a little bit before the interview, really provided a few challenges as it related to access to books, yeah. access to literature. Um, how did you find your family or even yourself kind of overcoming those boundaries? When I was 12, my, my family moved to a place called Las Piedras, which literally translates to the rocks. And we were living up in the mountains. And anytime I wanted books, uh, and at the time I wanted to write books in English. So my mom, she would drive me and my brother to old San Juan. And we would go to either the mall or to some of the bookstores there. And even though the choices were limited, I was just so happy that I had some access to it. Um, I really gravitated toward fairy tales, any kind of fairy tales, you know, like the Brothers Grimm, uh, Hans Christian Andersen, Charles Perrault, all those kinds of things. And also Sweet Valley High. Those are my favorites. Did you find that? the lack of books, the lack of literature on the island was uh, something isolated to that area in Las Piedras, or was it kind of a more island-based thing that you noticed in your youth? For, well, for me, it felt like it was just for, for where I was at the time. And this was before Amazon, before, you know, like the internet pretty much. So it, it, it felt pretty difficult. Uh, I remember my, my dad moved to Delaware in 1998. You know, he relocated for a job. And I, I was uh, 17 at the time. And we were talking one day and I was nervous about moving because that was all I knew was Puerto Rico. And I remember my dad telling me about this place called Borders. I know some of some of the listeners will remember Borders Books and Music. Um, and I really thought he was lying to me because I thought he was making me feel better about leaving the island. And uh, when I finally saw it with my own eyes, I just I could not believe it. I, I, I had never 
seen so many books in one place in my life. And I actually ended up getting a job at that specific borders, the one that used to be. uh... As you moved into Delaware, as books and literature became more easily accessible via libraries or stores, did you find that it affected your reading habits, your writing habits? Yes, I read everything I could get my hands on and I'm still catching up. There's still so many books and still so many of the classics that I haven't that I haven't read, but that I pretty much devoured everything I could get my hands on. And it was great that I was working at that Borders at the time was because I, I was able to kind of get first dibs on all the good stuff. I read so many how to write books, like how, how to write characters, how to write scenery, how to write uh, sci-fi, how, all, everything I could, I just kind of read. Um, and it was mostly through trial and error because I was just 18 with with this dream that I would write a book. And the great thing was that my parents were so supportive. There wasn't really anybody that was telling me like, oh, you can't do that. Like, that's that's impossible. Da, 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 da. Like, it was just like, oh, that's nice. <laughs> just kind of keep going. And everybody was so supportive. Um. I do come from a family of creative people. Like my mom, she she paints and she writes as well. My father, he's a singer-songwriter. My grandmother uh, wrote poetry. So I kind of come from a, a creative family. Um, what they didn't expect was how far I'd go or how seriously I'd take it as a career. You had mentioned the books that you really gravitated to when you were in Puerto Rico was those of fairy tales, those of fiction kind of stories, right? Obviously today we're looking at you receiving a fellowship in the world of creative nonfiction. So a bit of the other side, how do you see those two kind of like joining hands, right? Does that make sense? Yeah. I spent a lot of my life writing fiction but there was always parts of my actual life woven into my my stories. Now, what changed was my uh, my best friend Kristen passed away four years ago, and that really kind of just changed everything about me, and it changed how I how I wrote. I didn't really want to write fiction anymore. I wanted to write actual like things about my life and and I really wanted to explore how I was feeling and why I was feeling this way and the story that I submitted for the for the grant was actually a story no one was ever supposed to read which is pretty ironic I had a friend who was helping me with uh, the application process because I I was I wasn't sure what I what I was going to submit and I had submitted a couple of fiction stories and she just kept going no this is not good no don't submit this it's not mm -mm." and on a lark I was like well how about this story and I kind of wanted to take it back because it was again one of those stories that no one was ever supposed to read and she was like this one and I was like oh no (laughs) what have I done um Mostly because it was a story that I wrote when I was in a really dark place in in my life at that time. 
as you think to the emotions, right, that go into writing a piece like the piece that you submitted, did you find that writing at that moment was a catalyst for you in dealing with some of the emotions that maybe you didn't feel comfortable talking about? Or was it just uh, a moment of, I want to do something, I want to be creative just to, to get moving. And that was the byproduct of kind of that moment. It's a little bit of both, I want to say, but mostly it was because I had all these feelings of grief and I was in a really dark place at the time. And, um, and writing has always been a life-saving thing for me. Like anytime that I'm sad or depressed or anxious, I like to take that energy because even though it's negative energy, it's still, it's still something that bubbles up and percolates and it's there. And that's kind of been my superpower to, so to speak. And it's something that I've just, I'm just going to take all this negative stuff and I'm just going to put it in here. So that's how I end up with certain villains in stories or how I write certain emotions for some of my characters. So that's pretty much what I do. In some of your recent work, you mentioned writing stories about people who have gone through complex issues or difficult situations. What draws you to explore those themes and how do you hope your writing will resonate with readers? It's something that I struggle with every day. Um, It it always surprises people when I tell them this, but I I have... uh, uh, depression and anxiety. Thankfully, I've I've been going to therapy. I uh, I pray. I meditate. I I there's a lot of things that I do to kind of process these feelings. And writing is definitely one of them. Can you tell us a little bit more about the experience you had connecting with others online, in person during that pandemic, and how that became a bit of a lifeline for you? Oh my gosh. Um, being able to work online with my friend Amber, Amber Davis, who's uh, the illustrator for my my latest children's book and working with my publisher, uh, Jody Jackala, being able to use all the means that we had available to us, whether it was Zoom or FaceTime, email. So being able to, to still work was was amazing because it kind of kept that little spark of creativity alive throughout that time. Did you find yourself utilizing like writers chat groups, other um, open houses for writers to kind of share your your work during that time? I did create a little Facebook group on face uh, on, you know, on my Facebook page with some of my author friends. And mostly we I, I started it to to kind of support people throughout NaNoWriMo, which is National Novel Writing Month, which happens on the month of November. And it was mostly, hey, yeah, you can do it. Just kind of cheering each other on. And it, I, I thought it would, it would just kind of just end after, after November, but it just kept on going, you know? So that's nice to be able to have that little bit of support. I think something a lot of new writers or even just younger writers struggle with is kind of finding that balance, right? Between your creative writing, your creative time, and then your family time, your day job, the other things that you've got to do as a, as an adult, Um, what works for you? What do you find to be a successful balance between those two things? 
Um, I work part time and I'm also a full time mom. I have two boys with special needs. They're both uh, in the spectrum. They have autism. So what I usually do is I write at night after everybody's gone to bed. I have a notebook. I scribble some notes. I usually stay up late, way past my bedtime. And I just write as much as as much as I can. Even if it's just a sentence, I'm doing something. I think that a lot of writers focus on word count and they focus on how much they they write on a single day or a single week. And to be completely honest, I I I think that as long as you're doing a little bit and you're happy with what you you're writing or you're happy with what you're doing, just be gentle with yourself. I, I think that people just need to be a little kinder to themselves and a little more gentle with themselves, especially when they're doing something that they enjoy, which is uh the writing. And if they're putting so much pressure on themselves to not have to write X amount or I'm failing or what, like, I don't think you need that much pressure. You're not the first writer we've spoken to that said something akin to that, right? Which is just be <laughs> kind, be yeah. gentle with yourself. You know, so many of us see books on shelves or see the final product of a writer's work, right? Which is that yeah. final project. How much of your work do you feel like ends up on the floor in the trash can, right? Because I think that so many of us, you know, writing for you may be an exercise, maybe a practice, right? Yeah. And then it ends up in a final product. And so we may not see the stacks and stacks and stacks of yeah. <laughs> unused manuscripts that go into a person's creative practice. Oh man, that is a great question. I have so many works in progress that I haven't even touched. And it and it's harder for me now in the before time, uh, I used to be able to crank stuff out once a year, like, like, like it was nothing, like it was fine. Like, oh yeah, a book a year, no problem. After losing my, my friend and after the pandemic, everything just kind of, I had to refocus what was important, what really mattered. So I kind of had to learn to fall in love with writing all over again. I don't know. My priorities have changed. And now instead of uh, how how many books I'm cranking out or how many stories I'm cranking out, I'm I'm focusing on the quality. And while we're talking about your product, I'd love to to talk about the book that is just coming out or just came out last year. Yeah. Um, I wonder if you could tell us more about your first published children's book. Oh, my gosh. It's so exciting. I wrote this book 11 years ago. And it, to, to finally see it in my hands is... Uh, it's quite amazing. So it's ABCs with the Vejigantes and it's a children's book. And my friend Amber Davis did all of the illustrations. It's it's like a party. It's a parade right here in your hands. It talks about the Vejigantes, uh, the Fiestas de Santiago el Apostol. It talks a little bit about what the masks are and it's bilingual so you get like here it says the first vegante who walked down the street has a costume that is blue like the puerto rican sky and then it says azul and then you have a blue vegante and then it just kind of goes on like that so it's a bilingual book and it's great for anybody that wants to learn about puerto rico and wants to learn a little bit of spanish it's just it's 
so it's so beautiful. It's so beautifully illustrated. I just I love it. And it's won a number of awards. Yes. Yes. It just won first place for nonfiction from the Delaware Press Association. And I'm still waiting to hear about the National Federation of Press Women because apparently it won an award, but I haven't heard which one. Writing, though, not your only thing that you've uh, dug into, right? Uh, We've spoken on and I've seen postcards galore on uh, one of the Comic Cons coming shortly um, over at Claymont Community Center. Tell us how you got involved in this idea that is Comic Con and what makes you excited about stuff like that. Oh, my gosh. I've been going to Comic Cons for the past 10 years and I have made so many amazing friends. I, I don't just sell my books. I, I make these little figurines and I sell these at different Comic Cons. I used to have an event called Anime Day with the art studio. And that sadly got canceled because of the pandemic. So I decided to do something a little smaller. So called it Bento Con. And I was looking for a place to hold the the event. And thankfully, the Claymont Community Center came through. And so that's where it's going to be. It's, it's going to happen on August 26th from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. And we're going to have so many amazing vendors and artists and authors. There's going to be a cosplay contest. Uh, the Delaware Anime Society is going to be there having a little anime screening. How has your work been impacted or what opportunities do you feel like you've gained through receiving the fellowship from the DDOA? I have no words. There really are no words to describe how how life-changing this has been for me because it has validated everything, all the work that I've done for the past 20 years, because that's how long I've been doing this, 20 years. It's humbling. That's all I can say. And I'm just looking forward to continue to write. If you were to look back on younger you or a younger writer, um, and could give them one piece of advice from the grave, right? Of, <laughs> uh, approaching art, approaching literary arts, approaching being a mother, being a, an adult in the creative field. Yeah. What do you think is the most important lesson you've learned amongst your journey here? Don't give up. That's really the one thing that I I would say to my younger self and to any young writer, don't give up keep going. I I can't tell you how many times I got rejected. I got rejected so many times. And to try new things, learn how to write short stories, learn how to write poetry, learn how to write a haiku, read everything you can get your hands on. If I had had the access to some of the libraries that are within driving distance, God only knows what I would have been able to do. And to not be afraid to ask questions. There's so many times that I've been given opportunities just because I asked just a standard question. And there's so many times that people just kind of balk at that. And I'm like, what's the worst thing that they can say? The worst thing they can say is no. Okay, cool. Moving on. <laughs> I, I I also learned how to write comic books. I didn't know how to write comic book scripts. But I grabbed every single book on comic books that I could get my hands on. And I learned, I figured it out. Fear, it really is the enemy of creativity. So really just don't, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to ask questions. Don't be afraid to put yourself out there. And this is coming from someone with anxiety. (laughs) 
You know, there's just no way to know what can happen unless you you really just try and make an effort. And as we wrap up here, kind of the question I like to to ask everyone as we wrap up for you in yourself as a writer, as an artist sitting here today, what does success look like to you? Success, being happy, just being happy with what you're doing with what you've accomplished being happy with yourself and being kind there's so many things that have come my way just because i was kind that really just does open so many doors liz thank you so much for joining me today if you'd like to learn more about liz's upcoming work her books that are out there and on sale now everywhere feel free to visit liz Delaware State of the Arts is a weekly podcast that presents interviews with arts organizations and leaders who contribute to the cultural vibrancy of communities throughout Delaware. Delaware State of the Arts is provided as a service of the Delaware Division of the Arts in partnership with News Radio 1450 WILM and 1410 WDOV. The Delaware Division of the Arts, a branch of the Delaware Department of State, is committed to supporting the arts and cultivating creativity to enhance the quality of life in Delaware. Together with its advisory body, the Delaware State Arts Council, the division administers grants and programs that support arts programming, educate the public, increase awareness of the arts, and integrate the arts into all facets of Delaware life. To find out more about the division, visit arts.delaware.gov.